Hey folks, welcome back. This is Andy with the Corporal's Almanac. Today we have a special guest, Joe Yates. If you have kids, you're probably familiar with the show Molly of Denali, which runs on PBS. A story of an indigenous child in Alaska focused on highlighting the importance of carrying on tradition and the role of tradition in the modern world. Well, Joe's a writer for that show, as well as a producer for a number of other projects. Take a listen and let us know what you think. Joe, thank you so much for coming on to talk about some of your work. First, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I just want to say it's an honor to be here. Thank you. My name is Watsis Diye. My English name is Joe Yates. I'm from Southeast Alaska, residing in Anchorage, Alaska right now. I am a writer for Molly Denali, also a producer and editor for Life Below Zero First Alaskans. Awesome. It was super cool when I came across Molly of Denali the first time. Being an outdoors person, like there's not a whole lot of stuff for kids that's like really accessible. There's like uh, Nature Cat and that's basically it. And there's nothing wrong with Nature Cat. And this is, you know, 90% of the people listening that don't have kids are like, what are you talking about? But it, it's a really interesting show for a number of reasons. The first being that it, it really focuses on this idea of reciprocity with nature. And it's not about consumption from things from nature, but also giving back. And in doing this, there's this really well done development of the characters themselves as not being these like very flat indigenous people that are like totally disconnected from the modern world. I guess kind of what are your goals with the show itself in terms of uh, a lot of these subject matters that they talk about? Yeah, so I started off as a fellowship writer uh, for season one, like a year before season one came out. And I got training down in Vancouver, BC, and they kind of showed us the layouts of what they want, what's our goals. And they showed us the uh, animation, Tama cartoons, which was pretty cool because we also got to see like Curious George and Arthur and all of them being made. <laughs> and it was pretty surreal because I was a senior in college still. And they didn't realize I was in college when they picked me up. So that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. And it was. It, yeah, it was pretty surreal. I'm not going to lie. I was hanging out with Emmy Award winners. And like the week before that, I was just making just, you know, a little college yeah, midterms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I had, it was about two weeks before midterms. I'm like, hey, this is a big opportunity. Can I leave for one week? And they were like, yeah, go for it. Anyways, fast forward to, um, so our goals, we have a few different goals for the show. One, we have to kind of make it rel relative to kids nowadays across the nation. The Molly Denali is showing PBS kids in America and also in Canada. So we have to make sure it's relevant to Canadians as well. So it has to be nice and broad so kids can kind of have that bridge, that connection between our people and their people. And then uh, from there, we can be able to, you know, splice in some of our, our little slang or something that's really specific to our hearts and our nature. And that's what um, the fellowship writers, the ones that started off as fellowship writers, about six of us natives got started off that way. And I know I can speak for myself and the few that I talked to still throughout the, today is that we really try to get our heart and our soul within that script even if it's about native youth olympics or like this uh the last one that i uh, was a head writer for Ukekuk, i really try to put a lot of soul into that one because it is, my my wife is Yupik, 
my kids are Yupik and Tui is part Yupik. So I try to like, all right, so I'm going to try to get down on script so I can try to be relative to people across the nation about uh, my wife's people, my children's people. Uh, and I really try to do other cultures justice. I'm, I'm Haida, Dikhatagan, I'm Haida. And I try to treat other cultures as if it was my own because I know in our culture, there's less than a handful of fluent speakers in our dialect. There's just as many storytellers. And uh, right now, you know, not a lot of people are really learning. I mean, there's, there's a lot of grants and everything for the very beginner level, but not too many people are going above that. With that, there are people trying to learn. I don't want to discourage anybody. It, it's great, but we try to really put our heart and soul into all these scripts because this is the only way we can reach a broad audience. And this is the only way they can hear our language, they hear our stories. And we try to take advantage of every bit of it. For example, one of my scripts tried to do the Yupik alphabet and uh, like uh, just the sounds. And I asked one of my wife's cousins, like, hey, how does it feel to hear your language on, sc- on screen? She's like, that's, that's crazy because none of us grew up that way. Yeah. None of us seen our people on screen and to have our language just to see, even if it's just them catching their first fish and try to exaggerate how big the fish is. <laughs> we try to bring that humor in as well. So uh, sorry if I didn't answer your question you, in a linear message. but uh, Yeah, uh, you definitely got there. And I think it addresses this bigger point of making these very special and unique experiences in some ways very universal at the same time. So while that specific language may be explored in Mali of Denali, the reality is that that experience, the experience of the characters in the show, is something that's held by people across both the United States and Canada, where they have the same concerns and values. And while the language may be different, the relationship between them and like the mainstream culture is pretty similar. And it's something that a lot of people can relate to, which is a tough line to navigate. Yes, I wasn't part of this script, but it was the first script um, that was shown to us in training about Grandpa's Drum, the, one of the first episodes, and about how Grandpa Nat had to go to boarding school. And when he went to boarding school, he kind of lost his voice through song. We can't, we can't really get too deep because it is uh, the ages four, four through six. That's the main audience that we try to go for. Talking about like this very universal experience that folks have. Yeah. And um, the boarding school, like, as you may know, you know, Canadians had it just as bad as the United States, but the United States doesn't really bring it up too much of what happened in the boarding schools. And this was really the first time, at least in a, a broad level where, you know, a cartoon is showing or revealing our truths but in a simplistic way, in a beautiful way, really. With all of the news that's come out of Canada in the past year, how much more weight that episode carries. Not that people, or if you are familiar with the history that you didn't know about it, but it's like one of those things, like there can still be new cuts today, despite it being something that has happened, you know, over an extended period of time and not necessarily in recent memory, those wounds are still fresh in many ways because they haven't been resolved. 
Yeah, you said it right there. It has not been resolved at all because we don't talk about it. I know my grandma went through boarding school and it's not that long ago. Um, and you know, she would tell us stories and everything and tell us that we're lucky that we, because, you know, kids, they say like, oh, I had a hard time at school, but, you know, we weren't beaten. We weren't put in a trash can yeah. to be embarrassed or anything like that. So um, we were, were able to talk our language uh, if we want to, whereas they didn't have that option. So I think with the show, you've got kind of like three main narratives that are going on and it's part of it is the indigenous experience focused on one community, but with making it in a way that it's accessible to people in other communities across North America that have had similar experiences of marginalization and trying to find space for tradition in a modern world. The second one is this reconnection and a new appreciation for nature around us, often through the lens of these traditional practices. And then the third, I think, is really this idea of like finding space in our daily lives for those meaningful connections to place and even the people around us in the way that like the relationships within the community develop and exist. So I'm kind of interested if that, I know you guys said you kind of had some ideas of what you wanted the show to be like when uh, you had met with the producers, if that was kind of the goal or if that's just something from the folks like yourself coming into it and saying, I want to talk about my lived experiences, the experiences of my children, my family members, and these things are have always been undercurrents in those uh, the way we live. So it only makes sense to make this kind of the, the focal point of the show. I believe that was a tone in the room or like, hey, this is kind of like what we're going for. But at the same time, you know, the first rule of writing is writing what you know. So, I mean, that's that's what we really try to put in. And this next episode about to come out, any any eye over, um, it's basically that right there. It's the one I wrote, the boys I had writer for, any any eye over. It's basically like, hey, the internet went down. We have to go outside. And, um, and they're forced to be in nature. Um, and then next thing you know, the adults are having more fun than the kids and the kids are, they have to be an adult. And it, it, it's a nice little, uh, conflict there, but it's basically that there it's like, we like for my generation and before me, we always spent time outside. I can't remember watching TV, <laughs> uh, inside, uh, all I did was just play basketball all day ride my bike and play tag with my friends, play pretend ninja or whatever. Uh, it, that was, that was our normal, uh, was being outside all day in the summertime, go fishing, go hunting. That, that was our daily lives. And I really hope it shows in the, in the show. Yeah, I think so. Have you guys had feedback on that subject matter of like engaging with the natural versus the technological world? We haven't heard any feedback personally. But we do get like a reassessment before a new season start, like the, before we started season two, like, hey, we need to make Layla a little bit more uh, action. We need to give her a little bit more action. Uh, Molly's mom, that is. And they do focus groups of what if this person was this and that person was that. And uh, we, so we do get a little bit of focus group. We do get a little bit of feedback. But for me as a writer, I don't hear too much of it. I, I mostly just get all the notes in, try to make it as one thought, and push back out. 
when you look at like the listing of like kids shows, it definitely stands out. And I think that sometimes can be a really good thing. And sometimes it can be a really bad thing. And I think in this case, it's a really good thing because it's, it does a great job of engaging with these really difficult subject matters in a really accessible way. And in a way that I think we probably should be doing in a lot of other areas where our country or our governments have fallen short of its people. And I, I think this gives us a good idea of what that can look like. So obviously, we've brought up this idea that the show has a couple of different kind of roles that it exists within. While you brought up this point of like, how important it was for family members to hear their language on TV. The reality is that like in terms of like percentage of audience, I'm guessing a large percentage of the audience is white. So I, I'm just really interested about your thoughts about how either that's impacted the way you present the show or if it matters at all to you or, you know, if that I don't know. I'm, I'm just really interested. It's, it's an interesting dichotomy. Howdy. I'm Angel Luna. And I'm Nash Flynn. We are two comedians with a podcast. It's very original of us. It's a history tour about everyone's final destination. As a reformed academic, I've researched a lot of death history. And I'm here also. We talk about ways we die, ways we get buried, and ways we get remembered. Join us and listen to Death and Friends. Okay, we're out of time, so I guess that's the commercial. Cool. Oh, wait, no. Available everywhere you listen to... Yeah, so I don't want to say too much. That would get me in trouble. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, I personally want it like all in our language all about our history and everything like that uh but there are feedbacks from the upper uh, board members like hey i don't think person from texas will understand this can you rewrite this so there's there's that so yeah we we really try to kind of like i mentioned before was that we try to make it you know general enough for the broad audiences can understand but really try to get the little specifics where it can make our people kind of smile and like, Hey, that's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. I, I can imagine that's definitely walking a, a tight rope because you have to make everything super accessible while also again, acknowledging and recognizing a very specific community that you're trying to represent uh, without misrepresenting them because of, for the sake of making it accessible to other people. And that's really interesting in terms of how you, How do you develop representation? There's another component to this audience piece that I think is really important too. And that's while this is a show for kids, I know as well as you probably do, if your kids are sitting in front of the TV in the morning, you might be looking at your phone or doing some work or whatever. And you're also kind of like haphazardly watching whatever happens to be on TV as well. I'm also like watching some like Molly of Denali a lot because my kids will be watching it. You know, I'll pick up different things that I didn't know beforehand. And I'm interested to know if that's something that like, I guess, comes to mind as you're writing the show of like, well, yeah, this might be a little bit over the kids' heads, but the parents will get it or, you know, any like, does that play into it at all? Yeah. One of the first things I learned about script writing was even if you're writing for adults or kids, it's really basically the same just the language that you use. So that's what we, we don't try to dumb it down because kids are smarter than we think. Uh, If anything, they will eventually understand. And then the adults will, they'll definitely understand. And a lot of the feedback I get from the streets is, hey, I I love Molly Denali. It's fun and engaging. I even stop, stop doing the dishes and watch it sometimes. And it's always great to hear that feedback because we try to, again, try to get a nice broad audience, but 
you know, it, it, it's fun to see the kid come out of parents at times. And, you know, I, all of us have a little bit of kid in us. That's cool to know. All right. So, you, you've got this show that you've been working on and like you're touching on all these different areas. Where does it go from where it is today? And I don't mean like in terms of the show itself, but like these conversations around like representation and like the relationships with nature and all these like key uh, functions within the story. Like how, how do we move forward from, okay, now we're making this accessible and approachable to kind of the next steps. And I, I know you probably don't necessarily have an answer for that, but I, as somebody that spent a lot of time working on this, I'm sure you've thought about like, all right, so these people now or people that are watching understand like the need to understand the cycles of nature and the importance of culture and how that relates to maintaining like a, a sustainable ecology. But like my question for like everything is like, okay, and then what? Yeah, I'm really curious too. <laughs> well, one of the things that tell us is that Arthur is the only one who can really get those touchy subjects and everybody else and PBS kids have to kind of like lay it low. But now that Arthur stopped, I'm kind of curious as well. <laughs> hey, uh, can we be the next one? Uh, no, we, um, uh, you should see our writers meetings where we really like pitch our stories that we want to get, get out there. And a lot of them do have really deep meetings. We got one really deep one. Uh, Elizabeth Paradovich talked about racism. And to us, that's, you know, that's a win. As long as we can get one of the deep meetings out per season, we'll, we're happy. But yeah, I'm, I'm also very curious on where we go from here because can we keep doing those little walk in the line type of things? Is this too much? Does this get enough tension? Or do we just kind of strictly stay uh, kid friendly? Do you have a favorite episode? Oh, um, Grandpa's Drum. It has to be Grandpa's Drum because... You know, kind of, as I mentioned before, my grandma went through boarding school and we got to see the very rough cut of that episode. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room because a lot of our, our relatives also went to boarding school and we kind of get to understand, or we all understood beforehand, but to see it written so beautifully, even for uh, a children's show uh, where you know, Ray Lankford was a writer for the episode and she did just a beautiful job of just getting enough of our truths out there where a lot of people can understand. Uh, and it's really hard to do an 11 minute episode. Uh, you have to have in a kid show, too. In a kid show, uh, educational yeah. kid show where we have to have six of that, six of those 11 minutes being educational. So we have to, uh, and then at the same time, try not to have it boring for kids to stop watching but have action adventure type fun and then also you know educational meaningful on 11 minutes to see how well like how accessible the various pieces of education content is like i i think about like when they uh, go blueberry harvesting and like it, it's a very simple process and idea but like it's still like something that people can learn and like you have to start the most basic and like everyone knows most people know what a blueberry is i think just being like here this is how you do it and like make it an engaging thing for little kids to watch is like simple but beautiful and that stuff's just important to do so tell me a little bit about how the dynamics of family and how your own personal family have played into the writing process and what a script looks like and how the dynamics play out in developing these characters so i'm Haida. 
and my wife is Ubik, and a lot of the characters are Ubik. It's really hard for me to get an authentic voice on screen without asking my wife and her family. Every every draft I write, or um, even just coming up with the ideas, I always consult my wife and her family, my wife's dad and mom and sisters, to give advice or how to spell Ekshongen. For example, that means I'm kidding. And without them, it'd be pretty much impossible for me to give Tui or Molly enough authentic voices as much as I can. So I can, I just have to um, tell my wife and her family, like, how again, thank you very much for uh, helping me each step of the way, because again, I, I won't be able to do it without them. And then with Ukekuk, how my personal history got into the script, I'm not sure if you watched it or not, but it's a throw party of Tui catching his first bird. And when that happens, you pick people tend to throw a party um, and they give out presents to everybody who is whoever comes to the party. I wanted to write it as such as if it was me in Tui's shoes and if my grandma's still around. And so we have Tui's grandmother coming in from Gasigaluk, where my wife is from. Uh, I got to write that in. And Tui wanted to do something special for her. And so he wanted to write a uh, speech in Yupik. And if I had the opportunity to do it in Haida, you know, I would. And so that's, I tried to get my own personal, like, needs into the script and one little thing a lot of people won't get is that once Tui's grandmother opened the door Tui just ran to his grandmother and gave her a hug and if my grandmother's still around today that's the first thing I would do just give her a hug and telling her like I'm learning Haida like and I just wanted to kind of uh, resemble uh, my personal history but through, you know, epic uh, dynamics there, I really wanted to give that script spirit and heart as much as I can to have a epic spin on it. Again, I won't be able to do it with my wife's family and her. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that to write something so intimate and universal uh, would require those same dynamics to play out in the person writing it to be able to replicate it in their work. So it, it makes a lot of sense, and uh, it's something I think people appreciate when they watch it. Appreciate that. I, I hope it comes through. So do you have any other projects you're working on or similar stuff, or is that taking up all your time pretty much? Plus, the I know you said you've got a documentary you're working on. Yeah, I am working with National Geographic's BBC with Life Below Zero. There's a new spinoff called First Alaskans where... It's all Alaska Native. The, the cast is all Alaska Native. And I'm a producer for that. So we'll go out in the field about once a month for about two weeks and then come back and edit. Like I'm literally have the editing screen right here. Um, and so that pretty much takes my time. Uh, in the meantime, I am writing a full length, a full length script or basically a culture um, basketball story. A lot our people, we love basketball. I briefly mentioned this earlier that, you know, one of the things I did all day was play basketball. That's, it's kind of like Texas or Alabama and their football. That's for Alaskans and our basketball. 
it's crazy to see like there's no narrative basketball stories out there. So uh, I'm trying to tackle that one right now. And then in the meantime, uh, I am working with another company, kind of touching a lot of the same subjects that we touch on uh, with Molly Denali, a documentary. I can't say too much about it right now, um, but I can say it's a lot of stuff that we were told not to say. Uh, all the stuff that we should be silent about. We've been pushing under the rug uh, in this documentary. We're taking it all out. But I, I personally, as as the director, I, I want to be you know, eloquently done. I don't want just, uh, I want it to be more empowerful. Um, when you have the power to empower, that's when you have to make sure that it's done right and done well to not scare anybody else off, but to I try to show them our message without, you know, there's a shield right here. Uh, so no disconnection with anybody, but people come together instead. I'll definitely be reaching out to you again when that comes out. For folks that do want to keep track of the work you're doing to find out when things come out, do you have social media handles, anything like that? Where could they find you? Yeah, Alaskanfilms.com, plural laskinfilms.com uh that's a handle for pretty much everything as well so uh that's where i try to keep updated as much as i can again i'm working on a couple different shows and writing a document or writing a full-length script working on a documentary uh so i don't get to update it as much as i want to but uh if keep them busy yeah more important yes uh trying to get our uh, our people voices out there so when will the documentary you're working on come out i believe we are shooting to be done by this december and then out in the film festival soon after so we're doing the whole film festival scene there probably early 2023 sometime yes um that's the hope anyway so awesome joe this has been fantastic thank you so much Uh, anything else you want to say before we wrap up that was way too quick. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, we, we talk, went through it pretty quick. It's all right. I talk a lot. Sorry. And I ramble a lot too, so it doesn't really help. But thank you, Andy. I appreciate you giving me a voice to come on your platform, uh, inviting me onto this wonderful show of yours. It's been fun to listen to, and it's been fun to be on. So thank you. Thanks so much. Uh-uh.